you could sense the frustration in his voice as he was there on the phone. He said, no, you, how could you be completely out of stock still? I don't understand. You see, he was the largest gun salesman in New Mexico. And this was just recently. He was calling his distributor, asking for ammunition, asking, hey, you've got to stock my shelves. You look at his gun racks in his store and big portions of them are empty. What's going on? It's fascinating to read. I was just reading this this past week that people of all different types and persuasions, liberal and conservative, are buying guns at a rate that is completely unprecedented. Did you know that? In fact, there's been 28.8 million background checks for guns this year, more than any other year on record. And we're not done with the year yet. Uh, there's been more gun sales to this point in the year uh, than in any other entire year in recorded history. Uh, what's going on? People are, are sensing that, that there is danger. They're, they're wanting to do something about it. In fact, here's a, a, a little bit of a, uh, a statement by um, one person. She said, I find shooting very calming because you have, have to really concentrate and be in the moment, she said. It is very satisfying to have control in such a tumultuous world. Now, the fascinating thing is Benjamin Dowd Arrow, who studies gun owners, he's a sociologist for uh, the University, State, Florida State University. He studies gun owners. He said this, the COVID-19 pandemic, economic uncertainty, and, summer, uh, and a summer of civil unrest in response to police killings of unarmed black people have raised national anxieties like no time in recent memory. He goes on to say, we've created a powder keg of people who are afraid for different reasons. When people feel that they can become victimized, they want to protect themselves. All right? So well, the fascinating thing is this is actually recorded in the Los Angeles Times that people on all sides are worried and they're buying guns. And so is this the answer? Is this what's going to solve the, the, the problem? Is this... Is this what is going to enable us to overcome our fears? So the fascinating thing is that if you look in the Bible, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, okay? So if you open Revelation chapter 14, and you go to verse 6, where we looked at last week that, that there is everlasting good news we talked about. Remember, that's what the everlasting gospel is that is being proclaimed by a last day people represented by this angel flying in the midst of heaven. And so it's good news, not, you remember what we talked about last week? It's good news, not good. If my wife remembers. Did anybody else listen last week? All right. She gets extra credit this week, I guess. It's good news, not good advice. This is not a message to tell you what you need to do. It's a message to tell you what Jesus has already done for you. And that is what will change your life forever. Right? So this message, when it gets unpacked, it's good news. It's, it's a reality that, that, that is transformative for the world. It's a, a reality that can help us with our world problems today. At least that's what the Bible is purporting. But look at verse 7. This angel comes with this message to go to the entire world, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, and he's coming to give good news. And when he starts out his good news, 
he uses a megaphone. In the Greek, it actually says he said with a loud, meaning megale, and voice, meaning uh, phone in, in the Greek, is, is the word in the Greek. Megaphone. He's using a loud voice. He's like shouting through a megaphone. So I just want you to imagine for a second. Imagine that, that knowing the fear, knowing that people are anxious, knowing that what people are going through, the hype that's, that's happened in our world right now. Imagine me going through a, a large city shouting this. Do you think it would help? Verse 7 says, fear God. Are you feeling better this morning? A little less fear? Fear God. I can hear this echo almost here. You know, is this helping our neighbors? Fear God. Maybe they're all going to come to Jesus because I am telling them to fear God. We're telling everlasting good news. This is amazing. But sometimes when we read it, we're like, hang on a second. I don't want more fear. That's the last thing that I need. So let's look a little deeper at what the Bible is talking about when it says to fear God. You see, to fear God, what will help us a little bit is, have you ever heard of an auto-antonym? It's okay if you haven't, because I didn't even know that terminology until this week. But an auto-antonym is, for instance, if I said to you, Aloha. What am I telling you? Somebody else said hello and goodbye. You don't know for sure if I just told you aloha, the service is over, you can you can walk away. Or if I said aloha, hello, welcome, I'm glad that you're here. There's there's some other examples of that that are, that are pretty fascinating that you're actually probably more familiar with than you than you recognize. Like think about this. If I told you first the lights went off, then the alarm went off. You see, the lights went off, as in they were turned off. The alarm went off, as in the alarm began to sound. It's the exact opposite, using the same word, off. How about this? If I use the word with, Maxine fought with Charles to gain custody of her daughter. Now, is Maxine fighting with Charles in order to get the custody of her daughter? Or is Maxine fighting with Charles in order to get the custody of her daughter. How about this? Thanks to my investors, this film is finished. Finished is another uh, auto antonym because they could be saying, thanks to my investors, this film is finished. I am so thankful for my investors. They have enabled me to finish this film. Or I can say, thanks to my investors, this film is finished. There's no hope for this film because my investors let me down. How about, we'll do one more. Oversight, actually we'll do two more. Oversight, your oversight proved to be the difference between success and failure. Oversight can mean, oops, I made a mistake in that I missed something or it can mean that I was diligent in making sure that I oversaw things. One, one more since we're getting to the holidays. After we trimmed our Christmas tree, it was a perfect fit for the living room. Now, is this saying that a person took out their scissors and they trimmed their Christmas tree? Or is this saying that they put the trimmings on their Christmas tree? Oh, and one more that was pointed out to me after first service. You can know God and you can know peace. Or you can have no God and you can have 
no peace. That's not quite the same in that it's not spelled the same, but you can see how words can mean entirely different things. One word can be used based on the context to mean entirely different things. So when we look at fearing God, we've got to look at the context of the Old Testament. We've got to see what does it really mean to fear God? So I want you to go in your Bibles and I'm going to go through a few different verses quickly, but then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. So you can start turning to Matthew chapter 10. But on the way there, we're going to look at a few other verses. Proverbs chapter 15, 14 and verse 26 says this. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. So, so this is saying if you fear God, you're going to find refuge in him, meaning you're going to run to him. Now, when I'm afraid of somebody, when I'm afraid of something, I rarely run to that thing to find refuge, to find protection. So this is obviously different than what we typically picture by the word fear. How about this? Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. This is, you have goodness that is, is incredible, and you've prepared this uh, for those who fear you which you've prepared for those who trust in you. It, it parallels fearing God with trusting in his goodness, trusting that he will always treat you well. Now, now turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to pick up here where Jesus uses what sounds like an auto antonym, even in the way that he's using fear. Matthew chapter 10, and we'll start in verse, I believe it is 28. That we're in the right verse. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Does this make you feel good about God this morning? It says, You don't need to be afraid that somebody's going to come and kill you. You don't need to be afraid of that. Maybe I need to go tell the world this. Like, hey, don't go buy guns. Don't try to figure out how to protect yourself. Don't try to, don't fear those who might kill your body because here's the deal. You need to be afraid of God because he could kill your soul and your body in hell. Make you feel better? Let's worship. Let's just close this service and say, let's worship him because I am more afraid of God than other people. And somehow that's supposed to give me peace in this life. Well, hang on to your seats because Jesus isn't done. And when we read something that Jesus says, it sounds totally contradictory. It sounds confusing. Keep reading and keep asking for guidance. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Did you know those little birds, those little common birds that you see flying around? They're sold at the market for just a penny. No big deal. Did you know that your father carries so much about them that, that not one on the entire planet falls? He cares about it. It breaks his heart. Verse 30. But in contrast to that, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more 
value than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, hey, look, God cares more about you than you care about yourself because you didn't count how many hairs you had this morning. And you're not keeping track of the ones that fall off during the day. You're not stressed about when a hair falls out or when it doesn't. Maybe some of you are. But God's noticing the tiniest details in your life and he cares and he's watching out for it. And he's, he's there to, to see you through. He's there wrapping his arms of love around you. Therefore, do not fear. You, you see this, this picture is of a God of goodness and love that, that this is a fear that draws us towards God. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to the part about destroying the body in, in, in hell in just a minute. But, but let's focus in on the fact that his goodness, his character is what draws us towards him. Let's look at a, a few more verses here that, 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 that give us a picture of this. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5 says it this way. After the children of Israel shall return, and afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. What are they going to fear? What are they going to fear? The Lord and his goodness. Does that sound like something you want to run away from? I know, I know everybody's looking that direction, but I'm still right here. I am still right here, right? Let's let's listen again one more time. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. It says, as we get down to the end, as we get closer and closer to the end, more and more and more people are going to be fearing his goodness. They're going to be a better word for us to translate this is they're going to be standing in awe that God is that incredibly good. I think what, what our translation could be today is when this megaphone goes off, what our world needs to hear is stand in awe of God or bow in awe of God or be awestruck by who your God is because he's good and he'll never stop doing you good. That's just the way is. You know, when I think about this, this way that Jesus described it, he said, hey, don't fear because God watches out for the very hairs that are, that are on your head. A picture of that came to my mind as I thought about my brother. Now, my brother, you know, in, in high school, I love to work out. I love to go hit the weight room. My brother, he's always been a fit person, but he's never been that into exercise or, or I shouldn't say exercise, but into to lifting weights. Well, about, I don't know, maybe two years ago, he got a gym membership. He started working out every lunch break. He'd come around to visit us, and he's, like, eating a lot of protein. He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. My dad and I are like, oh, man, we better start working out. We're not sure what's going to happen with Tyson. And so I began to think, what's got into my brother? What's what's motivating him? And I, I, I thought I figured it out. You see, Daniel had just turned 13. I said, you know what? I remember as I began to get bigger and I began to wrestle with my dad, you know, my brother just doesn't want for him to become, Daniel to become stronger than him. And so he's, he's got Sean who's going to get bigger soon and he knows that he's got to be able to hold his own. It's, it's just about trying to preserve himself. And, and so one of the times when he was down to visit, I said, I know why you have a gym membership. I know why you're working so hard to get bigger. I know why you want to be strong. 
It's because you want to be able to wrestle your boys. You want to be able to be stronger than them. And he said, actually, actually, it's not about my boys. It's about Sonia. My little girl is growing up. She's, what, seven now? She's had to be a teenager. And I, I suddenly took a step back and I realized it wasn't about him. It wasn't a self-serving power that he was using. And, and I texted him about this. I said, do you mind if I use this as an illustration? And, and this was his response as, as he described. Uh, he said, got to be ready. Boys will come knocking at the door. I've been doing jujitsu also. My brother is working out. He's doing jujitsu because he knows that boys are going to be coming seeking Sonya eventually. And he says, you know what? I want to be fearsome. And I'm here to tell you that love can be fearsome. It can be fierce in a good way. You have a big God. You have a God who loves you more than you can imagine. And he is not weak. He is the almighty, infinite, omnipotent, powerful God of the universe. And he counts the number of hairs on your head. He can handle your problems. You don't need to be afraid, Jesus said. You can trust him. You really can trust him. You know, in the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, he uses this story to try to get pictures of what the character of God is really like. And, and there are these these children who are learning about this land of Narnia, and as they're learning about it, they're being told about this this being named Aslan, who is the king. And as they're told about this being, suddenly Susan is told something shocking. She's, she's told this, Aslan is a lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, you don't have a weak God. You have a powerful God. You have an omnipotent God. He is a God of fierce, fearsome love. They will never stop loving you. They will never stop watching out for you. And I think that this is why when you look at the Old Testament and you see this, this picture of fearing God, I mean, look at some of these things from Leviticus. As you look at, at fearing God in Leviticus, it says this, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 14 says, You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. That sounds like a really good thing. Like, I shouldn't say bad things about a deaf person who can't even hear me. How terrible is that? And you shouldn't put a stuff in front of a blind person so that they stumble over it. I mean, to treat a person like that, that's absolutely terrible. And then it says, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.32 says, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man. Dad, don't say amen too loud. And fear your God. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19.32. Leviticus 25.17 says, Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 25.35 says, If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among him, 
then you shall not charge him interest or usury, but fear your God. He goes on to say, if another one of your brothers has, has problems and he goes and sells himself to you, then you're going to set him free at the year of Jubilee. You shall fear your God. Why? Because God didn't discount your hairs this morning, but he counted everybody else's hairs this morning, and he cares about what's happening in their life, and you need to fear this fearsome love. You need to recognize this amazing love, and that's why Ecclesiastes says, fear God and keep his commandments. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. And when we begin to recognize this amazing God of love who is watching out for the details of people's lives, we suddenly realize that any bit of mistreatment that I do to any person around me creates heartache in the heart of God. So how does God handle this? How does God show his love to be fearsome and able to defend and able to stand up like my brother when the boys come knocking on the door? There's an even more beautiful picture. If you go to Psalm chapter 130, Psalm chapter 130 and verse 3 says it this way. And I think that this is what helps us when we say, okay, God, Jesus said, don't fear those who are going to kill you. But instead, fear the one that's, that could cast your, could destroy your, your body and soul in hell. Well, look at chapter 130 of Psalms. And we're going to go to verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Yeah, that's the reality. Because as, as I talk about this treating others with love, I recognize that if that's the standard, then I've really messed up again and again and again. But notice what it says in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Oh, don't miss that, okay? There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Okay, are you beginning to feel attracted by this fear, this awe of God? The reality is that he won't cast your body and soul into hell if you'll let him save you out of it because he's already accomplished your salvation. That is the everlasting good news that everything has been accomplished for you in Christ. You cannot add anything to what Jesus has done for your salvation. And so you're invited to fear God, to stand in awe of who he is, because he has forgiven you. Will you only accept it? Will you only accept it? And, okay, I get really excited about this, because think about Jesus. Jesus revealed this again and again in his life. I mean, Jesus obviously wanted people to be attracted, not scared. When he walked up in the water, uh, walked on water to the disciples, and they're terrified, they thought he was a ghost, he says, don't be afraid, it's me. You know who I am. Don't be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to be drawn to him in awe of who he is. But in Matthew chapter 9, there's a story of the paralytic who is let down through the roof, of Peter's house. And as he's let down there right in front of Jesus, you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, your sins are forgiven. Everybody's looking around like, hey, how could Jesus say that? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, I don't know why you're thinking these things in your heart, but which is more difficult for me to tell him his sins are forgiven 
or for me to tell him to get up and walk, a paralytic man who's never, who, who can't walk. But he goes on to say, so that you know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. In order for you to know that, he tells the man, stand up and walk. And the man gets up and he walks. And in Matthew 9 and verse 8, it says it this way. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. That word awestruck is fear, to fear God. When they saw the forgiving love, when they knew that he had that authority because he worked this miracle, they were awestruck by the amazing God of love that would forgive sins, the worst of sinners. I was doing a little research about centurion soldiers. Did you know centurion soldiers? I mean, they were the ones that were in charge at the time of Jesus. It was likely they were in charge of units of 80 soldiers. They were, they were commanders in the army. Julius Caesar, it said to have promoted his centurions for displays of, of valor, but historians cite examples of them being the first over the enemy's wall and through the breach. The centurions were, were the first ones over the walls when they're attacking a city. They were the first ones to go through the breach to, to be the ones out there leading the charge attacking. These were tough guys. They were incredible soldiers. If anybody wasn't afraid, I would probably bet on a centurion. You know? And they're just one of those tough, hardened guys. So I want you to think about something. As Jesus went to the cross, He's nailed there on the cross and he prays that prayer, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. He sees the thief on the cross next to him and, and the thief says, will you remember me in my kingdom? He says, yeah, I tell you the truth today. You're going to be with me in paradise. The centurion is just watching. These things. Then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He sees as, as the heartbrokenness of God as he experiences that separation of eternal death for you and me so that we don't have to experience it. And then, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and died. Look with me at Matthew chapter 27 and you see what the centurion's reaction to that was. I mean, seeing this, he's a hardened criminal. He's not a criminal. He's a hardened soldier who knows how to fight. The one who would lead the charge in battle. Not afraid of spears. Not afraid of swords. Not afraid of catapults and arrows. As he saw the matchless love of God revealed. The selfless, self-sacrificing, constantly forgiving love of God. Chapter 27 and verse 54 it says, So when the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. In that moment, they feared greatly. And I don't know what type of fear this was, because in the end, Revelation 6 tells us that when Jesus appears and, and he comes back as our loving God, there's going to be people who are running to the caves and asking 
for the mountains to fall on them because they are afraid of him. But then there are others who are saying, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him. They have learned to fear him as this God of love who cares about them in every possible way. You see, God could have solved the great controversy in myriads of ways. He could have stepped in with force. He could have crushed Satan with brute force. But the most powerful force in all the universe, what was promised in Genesis 3.15 when he said, I will crush the serpent's head, that was done on the cross of Jesus Christ. It was in that moment of self-sacrificing love that true power was revealed. And that is awesome. That is worth standing in awe of. That should leave us awestruck because it was already accomplished for you. It revealed what was in the heart of God for you from everlasting, that everlasting love that we talked about last week. And you know what Paul goes on to say? He says that, that God, the God of peace in Romans will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. Did you catch that? The, the God who, who did this amazing act on Calvary that crushed Satan. He said, now I'm going to crush Satan through you. You're going to tread down Satan. How? By allowing his spirit to fill us with that same love so that we too forgive and love until the very end. Back in 2003, there was a missionary couple on the island of Palau who had two children. And they were serving their community. Their community loved them. And they lived a little bit outside of the city. There was only one other house out where they were. There was a principal's house that was a little bit further out. And it was being remodeled. And so every day, workmen would come and work on that house. It was getting close to Christmas. And the husband was a pastor. And he was also an amazing piano player. And so he was playing the piano one night. Melissa, the, the youngest child, the daughter, remembers how that evening they were listening to the father playing. They were playing, her, her mom was playing a board game with her and baking all types of amazing Christmas treats. That was December 21. December 22 was her parents' anniversary, the 15-year anniversary. And as a little 10-year-old, she said, Mom and Dad, I know what to get you for your anniversary. I'm going to sleep in your bed tonight. And so mom and dad tucked her into their bed that night. She went to sleep between her mom and dad. And at 3 a.m. she woke up to some crazy noises in the house. She looked and her mom and dad weren't there. See, one of those workers who had gone by the house every day had broken into their house, killed her mom, killed her dad, killed her older brother, and took this 10-year-old little girl, gagged her and tied her, put her in his car, took her to her house, to his house. Went off to work that day, came back that night, was worried about getting discovered, and took her off into a remote part of the island, thought he had killed her, and he threw her into a ravine and left, left her for dead. And there are some horrendous things that happen on this planet. And sometimes we have to wonder, why? Why are these things happening? And what is going to put an end to this? 
Only the selfless love of God will put an end to this. Well, the queen of Palau was so impacted by this, she immediately raced to the hospital and she sat there in the hospital by Melissa trying to bring comfort to her. The next day, her grandma had flown in. I think it was from South America. Her grandma and grandpa, they flew in and they were trying to be there for her and they did everything possible to provide the best possible life for her. Her grandma, though, went to the prison. And as she went to the prison, she went to where they had captured Jason. Justin, sorry, his name was Justin. And she asked him, why did you commit this horrible crime? He told her, well, I was trying, I wanted to steal a television and a video player. But you didn't take the television, she said, or the, the video player. You took my granddaughter. Justin, you have a very sick mind. But if you give your mind to Jesus, he will heal you. Speaking on behalf of her family, she said, because of Jesus, I want you to know that we forgive you. What kind of love is that? Who can do that when your 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 son and his wife and, and your, your oldest grandson were just murdered? She says, we forgive you. Concluding, she said, I want to see you in heaven one day with my son and daughter-in-law and grandson. Justin was a hardened criminal serving three life sentences in prison in Palau. And it didn't appear that this had any impact on her, on him. But they provided a great life for Melissa. And Melissa actually got married in 2016. And I heard she got married to a pastor. And she's always wanted to go back to Palau. And then something happened. A pastor came to visit her. A pastor that had moved to Palau to pastor her dad's old church and who took on the prison ministry that her dad had started, and who had met Justin in prison, and, and had found out that all these years, ringing through his mind had been, we forgive you, we forgive you, we want to see you in heaven. And, and the grandma and grandpa had been sending materials for him to read all this time, and he'd actually been reading these books about Jesus. And, and he was ready to study with the pastor. And he began to study with the pastor. And the pastor was able to tell Melissa, look, he's been baptized. <laughs> Justin was baptized. He's given his life to God. And Justin had written letters of apology to Melissa, to her family, just trying in some way to let it be known that he was repentant for what he had done. Well, Melissa decided here in 2018 that she was going to travel to with her husband to Palau and her grandparents came with her and they went and the queen welcomed them with this huge celebration, took them all around the island during that week. Uh, they were sharing a week of prayer about forgiveness. In fact, before that, they'd been in Guam. This is a little part I forgot. In Guam, they'd been sharing and her grandma Ruth was sharing there. And, and one lady in the audience had said, wait, I don't understand. Where does this type of forgiveness, I, how could you forgive like that? And this was Ruth's response. She said it's impossible from a human perspective. Forgiveness only comes from the Holy Spirit. She explained that she came from a family that did not forgive. Her mother, she said, had refused to speak to her as a teenager for a year and a half. Holding grudges was common in the home in which she grew up. Then she said forgiveness comes from the Holy Spirit. The goal is not to try to forgive, 
but to open one's heart to the indwelling presence of God's Spirit and allow Him to forgive through you. And Melissa, during that week, wasn't planning to share in Palau the story, but she began to open up and to share about all that she had been through and what her family had been through. And then on the last Sabbath afternoon, she wasn't intending to talk to Justin. She didn't want to go and talk to him. But she felt compelled that she needed to go. And she went to the prison. And there, in the room that was prepared for them, standing behind the table, Justin, with his arms folded behind his back, poured out his heart, telling Melissa, telling her grandparents how incredibly sorry he was for the horrendous act that he had committed. Then Melissa spoke. She said that she hadn't planned to before entering. With tears streaming down her face, she said, Justin, we're all the same in God's sight. We are no better than you. We are all in need of God's saving grace in our lives. I want to see you in heaven one day with my parents and my brother. Friends, that's the reality. There is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. If you were to mark iniquities, none of us could stand. But there is forgiveness with him that we may stand in awe of this amazing God. And as the article concluded, it said, although Justin will spend the rest of his life in prison, he is a free man. He's a free man. Set free by the radical grace of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I just want to listen to this song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I want you to, to focus in on the words and to think about this grace that teaches our heart to fear and this grace that also relieves our fears and that sets us free. Father, thank you. How could we not be in awestruck by this incredible love? Thank you for telling us to fear God with a fear that attracts, that recognizes your awesome power to protect, to be there for us, to care for us, to pursue us in love until the very end. And God, I just confess that my own heart is lacking of this, this grace, this forgiving love, and I ask that you change my heart, that you change our hearts. God, the world around us is going crazy. Fear is escalating, passion, anger, and it's not going to solve the situation. Only the forgiving love, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ will change this world. So God, we just invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. Use us as channels for that. Lord, would you crush Satan beneath our feet. May we live lives of self-sacrificing love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, give us a passion to, to see this love more clearly, to take time getting to know you as our Savior through the Bible and in prayer. Lord, that we would pursue you knowing that you have been pursuing us since before we were born. We love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.